Um, but I'm excited to get into the Word tonight. And so let's do that. We're going to be in Luke in chapter 14. Luke chapter 14, and as you uh, get to that chapter, if you would stand for the honor of the Word of God tonight. Let's never forget what we get to read tonight as we get into God's Word, Luke chapter number 14, and we'll start our reading in verse 25. 14 and verse 25. There are a lot of pages turning. I was at a GIBF meeting one time, and Brother McCracken was there. And he's like, look, if you're using a phone, at least get a phone that makes the noise. You know, get an app that whenever you are turning. And I can't agree with that more. So, Amen. Are we there? Luke 14 and verse 25 says this. This is Christ, by the way, in his uh, uh, teaching ministry, right in the middle of it, really. And we're in verse 25. And um, I'm sorry, verse, chapter 14 and verse number 25. And there went great multitudes with him, and that's with Christ. And he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also, say those words with me, He cannot be my disciple. Verse 27. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me, again say with me, cannot be my disciple. Verse 28. For which of you, intending to build the tower, sitteth not down first, and counteth the cost, whether he hath sufficient to finish it? Lest haply, after he hath laid the foundation, and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going to war uh, against another king, sitteth not down first, and counteth whether he be able with 10,000 to meet him that cometh against him with 20,000. Or else, while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an embassage and desireth conditions of peace. So likewise, verse 33, Whosoever he be of you, that forsaketh not all that he hath. Again, say that with me if you would. He cannot be my disciple. Salt is good. Can I get an amen there? Yes. But if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land, nor yet for the dunghill. But men cast it out. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And so tonight I'm going to preach a message tonight entitled, Following Christ is Worth the Cost. Amen. Following Christ is Worth the Cost. I can't help but think about what Brother uh, Wolfram said today. It's going to cost, isn't it? Right. To, to invest in people, and that's just a sliver of what it means to follow Christ. It's worth the cost. Let's pray and we'll get into the message tonight. God, thank you. Thank you for who you are. And as we consider who you are tonight, and then we consider who we are, we just can't help but be thankful. Thank you for being so good. Thank you for being merciful. Thank you for, as has already said, just allowing us to meet in this building. And we've, we've seen how easily that can be taken from us, Lord, and we're thankful that we can have that. And to be in a place where we can freely meet with you and sing to you and to hear from you, I just pray that you'd bless Pray that you be with me as I declare your word tonight, that you give me 
uh, clarity of thought, Lord, and just uh, liberty to preach your word. Help us all to be receptive, please. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Now, I was talking to Brother Wolfram up here, uh, the other Brother Wolfram, and uh, I asked him, because, you know, sometimes things are said, and you know, I'm not really in the loop, and Brother, um, Brother Martin, uh, Brother, what's his name? Brother Andrew, whatever his last name is. Him. He was saying that, he was saying that Brother Marshall said something about golfing, and I thought, okay, so he probably is golfing, because I know he loves golf, and I wonder if he's actually golfing. And so I asked Brother Wolfram, hey, is Brother Marshall actually golfing? He said, yeah, he probably is doing a little bit of golfing. And so I showed him my notes, and God is my witness. My approach sentence is this. I'm just going to give it to you. I don't usually say that, but here's my first words in my sermon written down. I don't like golfing. <laughs> and so I probably made some uh, enemies. Pastor Marshall, I do appreciate you. Um, but it's, not your, it's just it's me. It's all me, okay? I don't like golfing. Um, it wasn't always that way, though. Uh, my dad and my brother, they always loved to golf my whole life. And before I was able to, they were golfing, and they'd go to the golf, uh, you know, tee, and they would, I'd always watch them practice their golf swing. They're in the living room, you know, keeping your arms straight and, and holding their clubs and, and all that. And I'd watch them talk about all the cool new clubs that they would get, and, and then they'd come back from a golfing trip about the good time they had and the bonding and, and how my brother and my dad were bonding. I'm like, I want, I want that. And so... Uh, I can't remember when it was, but I decided, hey, I wonder if they would let me go. And so I asked them. Before that, I didn't, I didn't hate golf. I just was indifferent, didn't really care. And I said, hey, uh, could I come with you? And so they were excited, and they said, sure, we'd love for you to come. And so I remember when that day came, I, I remember getting in the car, and we were heading out to the golf course, and my brother was basically giving me the, the golfing 101, you know, uh, how, to, how to hold the club, how to swing, uh, all kinds of pointers about position and, you know, put your feet in a certain way and your hips in a certain way and, and all these, uh, you know, little yoga things they do to get ready for golf. I don't know what it is. And, and who knew so much went into that, into getting a, a little ball and a little hole. It was, it's a science. It really is a science and an art. And so they were explaining all that to me. And so I, I was learning all that. I was getting excited. I was thinking about all the uh, stuff I was going to do out there in the a golf course and all the and that feeling, you know, that they all, all golfers tell you about, that, you know, at first, it's a little difficult, but whenever you hit that first hit, and you watch the ball fly, and that feeling, I'm like, yeah, I'm like, that feeling, so this is going to be great, and, and the great bonding time with my dad and my brother, and, <clears throat> and all that, and so we get to the first tee off, and nothing went how I expected it to go, at all, I can't tell you how many times I missed the ball, and then how many times when I hit the ball, I lost the ball. And uh, all the times we went, you know, dive, we didn't dive in. I, I've heard of stories of guys diving in to get their ball. But we got close, and, we, and, and all the times, all the frustration, it wasn't just me. I mean, my dad and my brother, too. Like, oh, I, I hit it. I thought I hit it perfect, and it went there. And then so the bonding wasn't a whole lot of bond. Unless it's like that misery, love, contempt. You know what I'm talking about? Misery, loves contempt type, type bonding. That was happening. But I'm just telling you, it didn't really go like I thought it was going to go. And that's, that day I decided, you know, I don't really, I don't really like golfing. Um, now, if I'm honest, I, the reason I don't like golfing is because I'm not good at it, right? That's why I don't like golfing. And, and I know you golfers out there, oh, Brother Chad, it's okay. I'll show you. I'll teach you all the pointers. And you just go to the golfing range. And if, if I'm really honest, the main reason I don't like golfing is because I'm not willing to pay the price it takes 
to be a decent golfer. That would be the real reason why I'm not a fan of golfing. Uh, first of all, I'm not willing to spend the actual money uh, it takes to buy decent clubs and the gear and the glove and the, and the cool, you know, golfer shorts and all that. And, and then, not to mention the money it costs to, like, so you buy all this stuff and it's like you make a, you know, major investment, like buying a house and you have all this stuff and then you get there and then you have to pay more money to actually, like, hit the ball and then the golf cart and, and all that. I w- I'm not willing to pay that cost. But money isn't the only cost to golfing, is it? I'm not willing to pay the time that it takes. It takes a lot of time to be a decent golfer. It takes a lot of time to be a decent golfer. And I can't imagine how much time it takes to be like actually a good golfer. And so it takes the time to learn the fundamentals, the techniques, and all of that. Countless hours on the driving range. And my brother said, yeah, let's just go to the driving range. I said, what's that? That's where you just, you, you just go out there and you put a ball on the ground and you hit it. At what? Oh, nothing. You just hit it. Oh. No, I'm not going to go to the driving range. And so, anyway, it take, but it does take that, doesn't it? To be a decent golfer, you can't just show up to the golf tee and expect that something is going to happen. And so I'm not willing to, take, to pay that cost. And so my problem is, and my problem was, that I wanted the benefits of golfing, but I was not willing to pay the cost to get the benefits of golfing. You see, that was the issue. And that same principle is true of running. And the endless list that is there of running and making that a habit of your life. There's a lot of benefits of running, but it also takes a lot of cost to get the benefits of running. Uh, You can only have the benefits of a strong marriage if you're willing to pay the cost of developing a strong marriage. And on and on and on it can go. And so the same is true with discipleship. The same is true. Uh, there's incredible benefits, incredible, uh, un, un, numer- innumerable, that's the word, innumerable benefits to being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Uh, but first we've got to talk about what even is that, what is discipleship. And so discipleship could be defined this way, committed followership. That's what it really boils down to, committed followership. It literally is one who attaches themselves to a teacher in order to learn a trade. And so the closest modern equivalent would be like an apprentice of today. Like if someone wants to be a master electrician or even a decent electrician, what do they do? Well, they go and they learn under, and they cling to, and they care about what he's teaching. And so because they want to be an electrician and hopefully a master electrician themselves. Uh, I talk to the teenagers about discipleship, and what I tell them is the difference between being a disciple and being a student is a, a student is one who learns, right? That's what a student is. A disciple is one who, like, actually wants to learn, you see. And an apprentice, who wants, his livelihood's going be, to be an electrician, he's, he's interested, isn't he, in the man that's teaching him how to be a, a good electrician, you see. And to be a disciple of Christ is to be a committed follower of Christ, one who wants to learn from Christ, one who wants to learn how to live for Christ, one who wants to live the life that God wants for them, and the one who's going to be able to show you that, and the only one who's ever mastered that would be Christ himself. And so a disciple of Christ is one who commits himself to following Christ. And so there's a distinction between the multitudes and the disciples. And if you remember in our text, in verse 25, it said, there went great multitudes. And so Christ is talking to directly to the multitudes. And the disciples would have been there, 
but he's talking to the multitudes. And there's a difference between the multitudes and the disciples. The multitudes were interested in Jesus. Obviously, they were there, right? And Jesus was kind of a controversial figure in that day. There was a lot of people who didn't like them, and so you wouldn't be there hanging out where Jesus is if there wasn't some level of interest there. And so the multitudes are people that are interested in Jesus, and possibly they might even be believers, and they might even have believed that he was the Christ, that he was the Son of God, the one who came to seek and to save, and they may have been believers, but here's what we know, they were interested. And that, that's about where it ended for them. A disciple is one who committed their life to following Christ. Committed their life. They've attached themselves to him in order to learn how to live this life his way. And they truly believe this is the Son of God. This is the one who knows how to live life. He is God himself. And if I want to learn how to live life properly, it's going to be from Jesus himself. And they've attached themselves to Christ. A couple other things about discipleship is it's not salvation. Discipleship is not the same as salvation. Salvation is open to all who come by faith. I'll say that again. Salvation is open to all who come by faith. Discipleship is not that way. Discipleship is only open to those willing to pay the price. Jesus paid the price of salvation. The cost of discipleship, it needs to be paid by the believer, you see. Jesus won't pay your price for discipleship. He won't force you to want to surrender your life to him. He won't do that. He won't pay that price. He paid the price for salvation. Salvation means coming to the cross and receiving Jesus. Discipleship means picking up the cross and following Jesus. Another thing is this, discipleship, if you're taking notes, this is kind of point number three under that, is the purpose of mankind. Discipleship is the purpose of mankind. The reason you were placed on this life, I mean, I'm sorry, on this earth, is to follow God and to live life God's way. And that's made clear in Romans 1, isn't it? That, that mankind, their purpose is to glorify God with their life and to praise God with their life. And it's, it really can boil down to this, is to follow God and live life His way. God is the one who designed this life. He designed it to operate a certain way. And so to not do what you're designed to do is to miss your purpose. It's to miss your, there's a lot of people living this life. There's a lot of people who, who walk around and you can see them and you can see it in their eyes who are wandering in this life purposeless and, and unfulfilled and it's because they are not living the life that they were designed to live and that is discipleship. And by the way, you see that in the, in the supermarket and the, at the gas station, but you see that sadly at times in the house of God. And you see people, and you see it in their eyes, that they're just not living the fulfilled, purposeful life that God intends for them. And that only comes by the cost of discipleship. Can I tell you, there is a price to pay for discipleship. You, can't, you don't wander into it. But the cost is more than worth it. More than worth it. True discipleship is the only thing the only thing that will bring true fulfillment in your life. My brother Chad, what are you talking about? I'm saved. Salvation does, 
It, it, gives you, it gives you that level of, of excitement and happiness and all of that. But I'm telling you if, you, if you leave it there, and if you get saved, but then you never take that step, and you never commit your life fully to him, and you never surrender to live the life God has for you, you can be saved, and your eternity will be, will be there, and God, you will have eternal life. But I'm telling you, God gave life, and he gave it more abundantly. And he intends for you to live an abundant life on this earth. On this earth. And so, in our text today, Jesus, his popularity is growing there in Israel. And like I said, he's in the middle of his teaching ministry, and he's been performing miracles. He's been healing the lame and, and the blind. He's, he's, he's done a lot of things, and he said a lot of things that impressed people and amazed people and really wowed people. And so there, were a, there was, as the Bible says, a multitude and multitudes and, and multiple multitudes in town after town that he went to, that were excited about him and amazed at the things he was doing and the words that he was saying. And so the Bible says there went great multitudes with him. And as we said, the multitudes, they were interested in Jesus. Maybe after spending some time around Jesus and his disciples, they wanted to be a disciple themselves. And you see these people came and not really knowing what to expect, and now these Multitudes are there, and they're following Christ, but they're also there alongside the actual disciples of Christ, and maybe they see the fulfillment, maybe they see the joy, maybe they see the the true, genuine inner peace of these men who are following Christ and are his disciples, and maybe they're telling themselves and and thinking to themselves, you know, I want that life, and maybe that's uh, part of the multitudes. And they recognize the fulfillment and the joy that came from being a disciple. And I tell you, there, there might be some here tonight that have shown an interest in Jesus. What am I saying? All of you have an interest in Jesus, don't you? If you're here and you're in this building and you've taken time on a Wednesday night to come out uh, during a, a global pandemic and all of that, and here you are, and you're interested in Jesus, you're interested in him, at least slightly. Maybe you've been coming to church for a little while now and you spent some time around God's people and you're seeing the fulfillment and you're seeing the joy that comes from being a true disciple, a true follower of Christ. And you see men, and I can only list a few, like Brother Andrew and, and like Brother Wolfram and, and on and on I can go and Brother Kent and Miss Lois and, and other people in the church that have that fulfillment and that joy and you see them and you can tell that they love their life and they're fulfilled and you, you know your life. And you know what happened before you got here. And you know how your life is going. And you might be saying, I, I, I've been coming. I might even be saved tonight. But I, why don't I have that life that these others have in the church? Maybe you've been coming for a long time. And maybe you're even a member of this church. And you've just never made that choice to pay the price, to commit your life, to be a committed follower of Christ, to say, God, whatever it is you want me to do, I will do it. Maybe you've never made that genuinely in your heart. Maybe you're nervous about that. Maybe you're thinking about your life. And while you don't have the fulfillment that other people have, you do enjoy your life in some aspects. In some parts of your life, you don't really want to give up. And maybe you're nervous about giving up and, and what that would look like if you were willing to just give it all to Christ and whatever he did with you. Maybe you're nervous about that, about that cost. And can I tell you tonight, it 
is worth it. It is worth it. There's a level of joy and fulfillment that comes only from, I'm sorry, sorry there's, only, there's a level of joy and fulfillment that comes from accepting Christ and from having your sins forgiven and, and to know that when you pass from this earth, you will be in heaven. But Jesus, again, said he came to give life, but he also came to give life more abundantly. And there's an abundant life full of fulfillment and joy that you simply cannot, you cannot know it until you've decided and you've surrendered to become a true disciple of Christ. Yes. And maybe you've never said those words, I today surrender to be a disciple of Christ. But, but maybe you're here and you've, you have, you've surrendered your life and you say, God, whatever it is, however that looks, I want to follow you. And there's a fulfillment that only comes from that. And of course, Jesus wanted and he saw these multitudes and he had a passion for them, so much so that he stopped what he was doing. And the Bible says in verse 25 that he turned and he said unto them. And so he, he stopped and he looked at them. And obviously Christ cared about them and he wanted them to be his disciple. He wanted that. He knew who they were. He knew who the multitudes were. He, he knew each and every situation of all of those multitudes, whatever that number means, whether that's hundreds or thousands, it doesn't matter if there are millions, Jesus knew every single one of those people and what they needed, and so he turned to them and he told them how to be a disciple. And Jesus knew the benefits of discipleship. Jesus knew that to be his disciple was the purpose for mankind. He knew that. But Jesus also knew that discipleship comes with a cost. He knew that. And that's why what I had you read together with me in verse 26 and verse 27 and verse 33 where Jesus says that you cannot be my disciple unless this happens and unless this happens and unless this happens. And what those are are costs. You cannot have a Gatorade unless you give me, what is it, like $8 now or something. When I was a kid, it was like $1.50, but my goodness. But you see what I'm saying? You cannot have this until you pay the price it takes to have this. And so the benefits of discipleship simply would not come without the cost of discipleship. It's just the reality. And any more than the benefits of golfing or running or a good marriage and on and on again, the list can go, will come. None of those things will come without the cost required to have those things. And so... We're going to look at that tonight. What is the cost of discipleship? And so in verse 26, here's what Jesus says to the multitudes. He says, if any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Listen, you cannot be a disciple of Christ, unless you pay this payment, this price. What is the price? Well, it's right there. Hate your family. I don't think that's the connotation that we're feeling that that is. Here's what that means. Here's what you have to understand about the context of this passage is that Jesus was in Israel. And not just in Israel, but he was in first century Israel, where they had a, a twisted view of the Old Testament, and they didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah they didn't believe that he was who he says he was. And the first century Jewish nation and the people hated Jesus. 
And the Pharisees were the Pharisees, but they represented first century Judaism. And so if you were a devout Jew, most likely you hated Jesus. You thought he was a blasphemer. You didn't, you didn't like him. You didn't believe he was who he said he was. And so if you were someone in that day, a multitude, and you're interested in Jesus, but you come from a family who is first century Jewish, and you're there with Jesus, you might be hiding a little bit. Because here's the deal. If you give your life to Jesus, and you're a first century Jew, there's a good chance that you lose your family. You lose your family. You'll be disowned from your family. Your father and your mother won't talk to you. You won't have a relationship with your sisters and your brothers. Your wife even or your husband might leave you because you gave your life to Christ. And Brother Chad, that's pretty extreme, don't you think? Well, go ask a a missionary in Nepal or in India or in Sri Lanka. And this is a reality that we don't have, we're not faced with a lot today in our, in our nation. And thank, thank the Lord for that. And we have our problems. But if you come up here and you get baptized, there's chances that you're going to be able to talk to your family the next day. And, but in that day, if you, if you surrendered and if you did what Jesus was asking them to do, and you gave your life fully to Christ, then you're going to have to be willing to do this, to lose your family. To lose your family. They had to be willing. Now, does that mean you have to lose your family? Like, sorry guys, I got baptized. Get out of me, get out of my life, you know? No, he's not saying that. But here's what he is saying. Are you willing to lose your family? If Jesus asks you to do something and you have a family member who's not going to like it, is that going to stop you from doing what Jesus asks you to do? That's what he's asking these people. What are you willing to lose? Here's a bigger question. What are you not willing to lose? And in the Jewish culture, not only did they not like Jesus, but the family was their life. It was their livelihood. It's how they got their, ne- their job, most likely, from, de- from mom and dad. It was their life. It was their dwelling place. It was everything to them. And Jesus, right off the bat, asked them to be willing to lose your family to follow me. And I... I'm thankful that we won't have that, that fear in America. But at the same time, in some ways, I wish we had that fear in America. So we would be willing to say, yes, I am willing to lose my family for Christ. But here's the deal. If we take it to America, what are you willing? Are you willing to lose your livelihood? Are you willing to lose your job to follow Christ? Are you willing to give up your reputation? Are you willing to be looked upon and, and scoured by society? For, in that day, it wasn't just their family. It was their society. And if they were to follow Christ, they would have lost a lot of things. And friend, I'm just asking you, are you willing to lose your life? What do you mean? Die? Well, yeah, but that's not what he's talking about here. He, he's talking about, it, it says even at the end of verse uh, 26, yea, and his own life, Also, and here, in this context, in verse 26, he's saying, your livelihood. And what is most precious to you? And I want you to think about, what is most precious to you? Husbands, your wife. I hope you love your wife. And if not, we have a great meeting coming up on September 24th that you need to go to. But if you love your wife more than anything else on this planet, I want you to genuinely ask yourself, would you be willing to lose her? For Christ. 
I hope you don't have to make that decision. But would you be willing to? That's what Christ asked them, isn't it? He said, are you willing to give up your wife? He said that. Your children, your brothers, your sisters, your job, your career, your livelihood, your reputation, your friends. Are you willing? Are you willing? I'm not saying, hey, we're not Amish here, right? We don't have to go and say, all right, I'm following Christ. Give it all up. He's not asking that. He's not saying to, to go and sell all your, every, all your earthly goods and, and give it to the church, although I, I think Brother Marshall might be okay with that. But he's not what he's asking. He's asking, are you willing? If it was clear from God and he was standing right here and he said, give it up, would you be willing to give it up? That's what it means to be a disciple of Christ. That's number one. Look at verse 27. He says this. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, what does that mean to bear his cross? Now, there is some theological ties to that, but I got to be honest with you, Jesus hadn't been to the cross yet at this passage. When they heard the cross, it wasn't the beautiful picture that we think of today. You might say, of course I'm willing to bear the cross. I'll put a badge right here, and I'll tell everybody. When he said, bear the cross, that's the same imagery as, are you willing to sit in an electric chair? Literally, that's the idea. That's the, that's the idea that they would have heard. Because the cross is where they crucified men. The cross was a shame. The cross was, the, was reserved for the worst of criminals, for the, for the dregs of society. And not only was it a death, but a death penalty, but it was the most painful of death penalties. And it was down to a science. And not only that, but it was the most humiliating and shameful of deaths you can endure. And Jesus is asking them, are you willing to do that? No, really, are you, are you really willing to do that? And I'm asking you tonight, if it came to it, and it was your life or following Christ, are you willing to bear the cross? Are you willing to endure? Brother Chad, I'm willing to die. Okay, but are you willing to go through the the torture? I'm not trying to be crude or anything, but this is the reality of the questions he's asking. Are you willing to go through that in order to follow Christ. Most of us are worried about people looking at us funny. But are you willing to endure the cross? Most of us are worried about what our government's going to do to us if we say something that we shouldn't from the pulpit, and we're live streamed. Now, are you willing to bear the cross? Are you willing to bear the cross and give up your very life? Yeah. And let's look at verse 33. We'll come back to the other verses. And Jesus says this, So likewise, whosoever he be of you, that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. And so a disciple is willing to give up anything they have. They're willing, they're willing to give up their reputation and their livelihood. They're willing to give up their very life. And they're willing to give up anything that they have. Anything that they have on this earth. 
any money, their house, their car. Now, this isn't a church planning conference. It just came from one. We're not asking you about that tonight. But I'm just asking. Here's the whole idea of this whole passage. He's not telling them, give me. He's not saying, okay, you're ready. There's a cross. He's not, Jesus wasn't doing that. He wasn't, asking them to, he wasn't asking them to give up their life. He wasn't asking them to give him all that they had. He was asking this. Are you willing to give up anything? And is there something? I, don't, I can't tell you what that is. You know what that is. We all have one of those, that thing, that if Jesus asked me to give it up, I don't know. But that's the cost of discipleship. How do you know? Well, he said, if you're not willing, then it was very clear. He didn't didn't hash around this at all. You cannot be my disciple. You can't unless you're willing to give up anything. And so in the middle of all of that, I want to get you back in the minds of these multitudes you might be thinking, Brother Chad, this seems pretty extreme. Not anywhere near as extreme as it sounded back then. And these people are, at, are being asked a lot. Well, here's what Jesus says. In, in verse 28 through 32, Jesus gave two parables here <clears throat> to try to explain something. Because there were a lot of multitudes there, a lot of people who were interested in Christ, who before Jesus said any of this, Whereas in their mind thinking, yeah, I want to be a disciple. Yeah, I'm going to be just like Peter and James and John and Matthew. I'm going to be just like them. I'm going to be a disciple. Yeah, they're excited about Christ. And Jesus said, hold on. Before you make that decision, there's some things I have to tell you. First, there is a cost. But second, you need to count the cost. Before you decide, yeah, I'm going to live the life that God has for me, before you make that decision, there are some other decisions you need to make before that can happen. And if you want to be, listen, if you attempt to be a disciple of Christ, can I say it this way? If you try to look like a disciple of Christ, and you go around your life, and when, when people are around that you, that you care what they think, now I'm a disciple of Christ. Do you, do you see what I'm getting at? And you want to look like a disciple of Christ, but you have not been willing to pay the price. And if you want the benefits and you want the the reputation that some of the men of God and the ladies of God in this church have, and and you want the, the joy and the fulfillment that some of the men and ladies of God have and the disciples of Christ have, you want all those benefits, you have to first see and check and count the cost and see if you're willing to pay that in order to reap the benefits, you see. And Jesus says this in verse 28. For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? And so Jesus says, if you're going to build a tower, the idea is that nobody would do this. I've got some stuff there. Let's just go do it. Let's build a tower. But without seeing like blueprints and materialists, and make sure you have it. And Jesus said, if you were to do that, and just build a tower off a whim, without considering if you had what it takes to build a tower, in verse 29, he says this, lest happily, 
Not happily, by the way. Happily, this is what will happen. After he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, because if you don't see if you have enough, chances are you're not going to have enough and you won't finish the tower. And here's what will happen. All that behold it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. It was a total disaster. Nothing went how they thought it was going to go. The tower, I mean, the reason you probably are building the tower is so people think you're awesome and you're halfway up and not only do people not think you're awesome, they think you're a total doofus and they're laughing at you and they're mocking you and it was a disaster. Verse 31. Or what king? Going to make war against another king. Sitteth not down first and consulteth whether he be able with 10,000 to meet him that cometh against him with 20,000. And so what king is going to go try to fight a battle and not see how the armies stack up? <clears throat> well, a foolish one would do that. And what would happen in verse 32, or else, while the other is yet a great way off, and then, whoa, there's the army, he sendeth an ambassage and desireth conditions of peace. And so he intended to fight and win a battle, but not only did he not win the battle, but he was, he was embarrassed by it. And so here's the idea that Jesus is getting across, these, these two scenarios that didn't consider before they did something, whether they had what it took to do it, it ended with shame and failure and defeat. Can I say this? There are a lot of Christians who are reaching out for the life God has for them. And they hear about that life. And they say, there's nothing like the Christian life. And there's nothing like living for God. And they say, yeah, I want that. And so they, they go for it. And they read their Bible. And they come to church. And they tell people. And they give tracts. And they do all these things that they think they're supposed to do. But, but it's, like, it's like they're reaching for that. But they've never let go of their life. You see? And it's like, why can't I get there? And they reach further, and they try harder, and, and, and they read more of the Scripture, and they pray more, and they go to church even whenever no one's here. They just start sweeping the floors, and, and they're just like, what can I do to get there? And Jesus says, the only thing you can do to get there is let go of your life. That's the only thing that you can do to get there. And then when you let go of that, well then, here's what's going to happen. Then you'll start reading your Bible, and you'll love it. And then you'll start coming to church, and you'll be one of those crazy guys who throws his Bible in the air, and then when you go give out tracts, you'll be like, this is the gospel of Christ, and this person might go to heaven because of this, and you give the tract, and you love it, and there's that joy, and there's that peace, and there's that fulfillment, and there's that, uh, all of that comes with the benefits of being a disciple, but as long as you're just, you're just reaching for it, my friend, it's only going to frustrate you. You might be saying, no, Brother Chad, don't do that. Encourage them to, to do all these things. No, no, no. Jesus says, don't even try it. Jesus says, don't even try to be my disciple until you're willing to let go of your life. He says, Don't try to live the life I have for you, which, by the way, is the best life you can ever live, by far. 
It's the best life and the only life that will fulfill you. The only life that's going to be worth living is the life that God has for you. But Jesus says, you're better off not trying for it if you're not willing to give your life up. Because what's going to happen? Shame and failure and defeat. Does any of this sound familiar in our life sometimes? Why is it? Why is my life? I mean, I'm trying. I'm here, Brother Chad. I love Jesus. Here I am. And I read my Bible, and I'm praying, and I come to revivals, and I give out tracts, because I don't want Brother Wolfram to get me, you know? And I'm doing all this. And why don't I have the life you're talking about? It's because you won't let go. That's all, that, that's all it is. That's the only thing. And after that comes the rest. Verse 34. Jesus says this, salt is good. Can you stop and think about that for a little bit? Nothing about blood pressure or anything. Amen. Salt is good. And don't say, oh, Brother Chad, he just said that because it preserved the food and all that. Well, yeah, but he was concerned about, like, the savor. <laughs> Amen? That's what he said. Salt is good. And if it doesn't have, like, the savor, you can say like, I added that. Salt is good, but if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be seasoned? You're like throwing chalk on my food. I don't want that. Now, I have never had salt that didn't have savor, but I would imagine I'd be very disappointed. But he's, Jesus, here's what Jesus is saying. What's the purpose of salt? Well, it's the savor. And so if the salt is there, but it, has, it, it does not accomplish its purpose, then here's what it, here's what it is. Verse 35. It's neither fit for the land. You can't throw it on the land. You'll kill the crops. Or nor yet for the dunghill. Now, I don't know why you wouldn't want to throw it over there, but there's probably a good reason. I don't want, I don't want to explain the dunghill. But here's the deal. Men cast it out. It's good for nothing. There's no, if it doesn't, listen, if it, if it doesn't fulfill its only purpose, then it is wasted. It's good for nothing. And remind me again what Jesus said was like the whole purpose of living, discipleship, right? And here's what Jesus is saying. If there is a Christian in here, really it goes broader than that, doesn't it? If there is a human being in here who is not fulfilling his purpose, his life is good for nothing right now. Now, I'm not trying to be mean, but... If we're not living out our purpose, then what are we doing? We're, we're not accomplishing our purpose, that's for sure. And Jesus is, has all this in mind, and he said, it really doesn't accomplish anything good. What are you talking about, Brother Chad? I mean, people who aren't saved, they go and do all kinds of stuff. They, they start businesses, and, and all that. they give to the poor, and all that. Well, that, that's right. But what our, our definition of good here is what we were designed to do, which is to glorify God. And, we can, and if you're not glorifying God with your life, then it is a wasted life. It just is the truth. And while we do all these other things, I tell you, I promise you, those men who do those charitable things probably are doing it because they are empty inside and they need fulfillment and they need that joy and, and they're trying to make something of their life and they're entrepreneurs and they build businesses and they give to the poor, but they've never let go their life, I promise you, if you talk to them in, in the privacy of their home and they were honest, 
Their life is empty and unfulfilled. And what's the point? I wish I would have had this quote, but uh, uh, Tom Brady, after his, I can't even, like sixth ring, uh, it's been quoted that he said, what's the point? That's not the quote. I wish I had it, and it kind of falls flat. But here's the deal. Tom Brady did everything. If if he really thinks football is his purpose, he met it. But the problem is, football was not his purpose. Not his purpose. You're talking about Brother Chad? Look at the man. No, it is not his purpose. His purpose was to glorify God in his life. And when we're not fulfilling our purpose, our life is wasted. And it feels that way. And you can tell. When you think about it, you lay your pillow, your head at night, you know that is true. That you're unfulfilled. And I don't have that joy. I don't have that, that eager, fulfilled life. And I want it. I want it. I want it so bad, Brother Chad. And that's good. And I want that for you. And Jesus loves you. And he wants that for you. But he's not going to make you let go. He's not going to make you let go. You will not understand the fulfillment of true discipleship if there is something, I mean anything, you are unwilling to give up for Christ. You will never, you will never understand true fulfillment until you do that. Following Christ requires self-sacrifice. Requires it. It's really the base level of being a disciple of Christ. So let me just ask you this, and we'll be done soon. What are you not willing to give up? What, what is it tonight? And I, I can't imagine that there's not something that you're thinking about. I, the Holy Spirit, he, he guides and he directs, doesn't he? And I cannot imagine there's not something in your mind. You're like, I can't, I, I just, Brother Chad, I've tried and I've tried. What are you not willing to give up? What is it tonight? Pinpoint that. Ask yourself, why? Why won't I give it up? Why wouldn't you be willing to surrender anything for the cause of Christ? Can I tell you? Ethan, pastor's youngest boy. He's an honorary little boy, if you know him. I used him in my illustration last time. He's just full of them, right? But if Ethan was standing here and he said, Brother Chad, I'm going to ask you to do something. And whatever it is, you have to say yes. No. I don't care what it is. No, I'm not doing it, right? Why? Why won't I do anything Ethan asked me? A couple reasons. I don't trust him. I don't trust his motives. I don't think he knows best, even if he wanted to do good. I don't trust this. I don't, so here's the deal. I don't, I don't think he knows better than me. And I don't think he cares about me like he's sounding like he cares about me when he said that. So why won't you do anything God asks you to do? Well, it boils down to this, doesn't it? You don't think he really truly knows best. Right? You, here's what we do. We somehow rationalize it to think, I know better than God. We think that. What are you talking about? I don't think that. Well, whenever God asks you to do something and you're not willing to do it, what are you saying? I, I think that what I want to do is better than what God wants me to do. Or, well, God might know better, but man, my life is just going to be a total bummer. And what you're saying is, 
God doesn't have my best interest in view. God doesn't care how I feel. He just wants me to do what he wants. That's what we think, right? Whenever we, whenever we say, well, I just don't know if I'll be happy. I, don't, I mean, look, if I give this up, I'm going to lose a lot. Well, what are you going to gain, right? Do you believe that God has your best interest in view? Do you believe that God knows best? We'll say all of that. Well, we need to live that out. Because if that is true, if God knows best and he has your best interest in view, then what is it in your life that you would not be willing to let him have control over? What is it? Hopefully it's nothing. But I'd imagine it's something. And even if you get it right tonight, tomorrow, you're going to need to ask that same question. And the next day, and the next day, and the next day. And Paul said it this way, I die daily. Brother Chad, I surrendered to, to, to follow God many years ago at camp. Okay. All right, but what about then? What about since then? What about yesterday? What, what about today? Every day. We, seriously, every day we need to start a day like this. God, I have plans today. But whatever it is that you want me to do, I'm willing to do it. God, if you ask me to buy it, ticket to the Congo, and go tell people about Christ there, I'm willing to do it. And on and on it can go. And I've taken enough time tonight, but I imagine that there's something. And here's, here's all Jesus asks, the only thing, just one thing, surrender. Just let go. I promise you it's worth it. And you're, and you're telling yourself right now, probably, it's not worth it. No, it's not. You don't understand, Brother Chad. I don't want to, and I don't need to understand. Well, here's what I do know. If you let go and you follow Christ, it is worth it. Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you so much <clears throat> for who you are. Thank you, God, that it is true that you do know best. It is true that you love us. It is true you have our best interest in heart. Help us, God, to see past ourselves. Help us to understand who we truly are and who you truly are, Lord, and just to be willing to surrender, to give it all, whatever that might be. Lord, trust you in that way. Pray that you'd work that way, that you would be glorified. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. As the piano plays. Maybe God's working on your heart tonight. Maybe there's something in your heart right now that you know God's telling you, look, just give that up. Just give it up. And he's probably convinced you time and time again why to do that. But in reality, he doesn't have to explain why. Do you trust him? Just give it up. Yeah, it's worth it.